This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff is on assignment. Act like he's actually on assignment. So Jeff will be back tomorrow. Matt Marchese filling in. And last night, man, the Calgary Flames kind of blew that one, didn't they? Two points in the bag, seemingly. And then Ottawa pulls their goalie, and they manage to score two goals. And then they win it in overtime, despite the best efforts from the Flames, who had more than one chance to finish things off. Derek Wills, who is the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames, joins me now. And, you know, Derek, I was putting together my notes for the show last night, watching the game, and I the thing that I wrote was, this is the perfect game for Jacob Markstrom. This was about... I don't know, about halfway through the third period. Didn't face a ton of shots. Wasn't super overworked. He had only allowed the one goal. And I said, this is the game that he needs to get the confidence back. And then all of that went to shambles. I guess the question is, what the heck happened last night? You know what, Matt? I was thinking the same thing. As a matter of fact, on the broadcast last night, about halfway through the third period, uh, I got a really good look at Jacob Markstrom. And through his mask, I could see his eyes. And his eyes told a story at that point in time in the game. He looked relieved. Uh, He was able to snap a five-game losing streak. uh, And it looked like he was on his way to his second straight win. And for the first time in a while, he looked happy. And then, as you said, it all went to shambles. Uh, Two minutes and 14 seconds left in the third period. The Senators pulled their goaltender, uh, put an extra attacker on the ice, and scored to make it 3-2. Put the goaltender back in, take him back out, and do it again. Two goals in 46 seconds. You got a tie hockey game. You go to overtime. Uh, to your point, the Flames had a plethora of opportunities to end the game in three-on-three OT and couldn't convert. And then the Senators get one chance. It's a one-on-one rush down the ice. I thought Mackenzie Weger played it pretty well, kind of forced the shooter to the outside. But Tim Stutzla puts a puck right through Jacob Markstrom. And I've defended him all season, but you got to make that save. You absolutely have to. It was a a devastating loss for the Flames, and it's too bad because I actually thought they were playing one of their best games of the season. They were absolutely relentless last night, and I don't know if fatigue became a factor late in the third period, as Daryl Sutter suggested that it did. They were playing a third straight game without their number one defenseman, Rasmus Anderson, and maybe the top four on D was a little bit worn out, but you're playing against a team without their number one and two goaltenders, so I have a hard time making that excuse, but one of those losses that felt like a gut punch, and there have been a bunch of those this year, Matt. The Flames have played 54 games. 32 of them have been decided by one goal. 60% of their games. Yeah. And... They've lost more one-goal games than any team in the league as well. They've lost 20 of them. And now they've lost 11 games in overtime and shootouts, which is a good thing because at least you're getting a point, but a bad thing because you're losing. So it's just been a grind this season. And uh, Flames are just hanging in there thanks to those loser points. Yeah, you know, and and again, like I was, I'm watching this game, and I agree with you. Like the shot, they they outshot the Sens. I think it was three quarters of the way through the second period. It was ten to nothing. Like they were completely yeah. dominating. Like the shots were, they were like twenty two to five at one point. And I'm I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, okay, Calgary is going to run away with this one, and not for lack of effort. Like Mad Sogard was really good for the Sens last night. And, you know, and I know it's easy to say, well, they had their third string goalie in, and that was exactly. My takeaway from it as well, he did play well. But I guess that that kind of lends itself to this idea that the Flames need to add 
another scorer. And they've, they've struggled to score goals this year. They've also struggled to keep the puck out of their net, which is something that I was not expecting considering the moves that were made this offseason and specifically to bring in Mackenzie Weger. But I, I look at this team and, and I just don't, I'm not convinced that adding just a scorer is going to solve all their problems here. I'm not either, but I think they pushed all their chips to the middle of the table last summer. And I think about what a roller coaster ride the last 12 months have been for the Flames. So they win the Pacific Division last season, uh, go into the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, as heavy favorites in their first round series versus the Stars. Jake Ottinger does cartwheels in his crease and stands on his head to force a seventh and deciding game and to force OT in game seven. And then Johnny Gaudreau scores what I think was the biggest goal for the Flames since 2004 to set up the first Battle of Alberta in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 1991. It had been more than three decades. And then in Game 1 of that series, the Flames beat the Oilers at their own game. They win 9-6 and then lose four in a row. And just when you think things can't get any worse, uh, minutes, if not hours, but uh, close to uh, July 13th, uh, late uh, in the evening on July 12th, Johnny Gaudreau informs the team that even though they thought they had a deal done with him, that uh, he's going to go to free agency. They lose him. A couple of weeks later, they find out Matthew Kachuk's not open to signing long-term. And that was rock bottom for the Flames. And then Brad Treleving pulls a rabbit out of his hat and makes that trade with the Panthers to bring in Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger and Cole Schwint and a first-round pick. And the Flames go from a team that is probably going to have to rebuild or at least retool to a team that might be better for 2022-2023 than they were last season. Uh, and I still think this team has a chance to be a better playoff team than uh, recent iterations of the Flames have been because of the way they're stacked down the middle with Elias Lindholm, Nazem Kadri, and Michael Backlund as their 1-2-3 centermen and because of their top five on defense when healthy. But the, the goaltending hasn't been as good and they've had a harder time scoring. And the reason why I'd like to see them at a scorer, Matt, is because there aren't a lot of guys in this team who score easily. They have to work really hard for their goals. Tyler Toffoli is probably the guy who scores easiest on this team, and he's got a team leading 22 goals this season as a result. But other than that, they don't have a lot of guys who can score from the perimeter, who can score with a high shooting percentage, with ease. So I'd like to see them add that type of player uh, to potentially put on the line with Kadri and Huberto. Right now, you've got a rookie in Jacob Peltier playing left wing on that line. And no offense to him, but if he's playing a little bit further down your lineup, you're a better team. So Brad Treleving's at a tough spot right now. He's, he's always said that he takes his cues from the team as far as how to handle the trade deadline. Well, if he's taking cues from his team this year, he's probably not going to make any major moves. But again, I, th I think they're kind of all in and believe they're in a window to win. So I'd be surprised if they didn't do something significant. Derek Wills, Calgary Flames, play-by-play -play voice joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And, and I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how he handles this deadline, like you said, because, listen, there's one thing that Brad Living is not, and that is shy. He goes mm -hmm. out and he is... I believe that he is in on everything. I believe he makes all the calls that he needs to make and he goes out and he tries to he tries to land big fish. And that's where the Timo Meyer conversation comes into play because talk about adding a guy that would really help you in the playoffs and become a better playoff team. He would be the guy. My only question is is that something that you know talking about taking cues from the team, 
have they given him a reason to go out and acquire a guy like Timo Meyer? Because let's face it, that is a very significant price that you have to pay for him. I would be stunned if they made that move and not because I don't like the player. I love the player. I just, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for this team short-term or long-term. Would Meyer make the Flames a better team? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But they're not at the top of the Pacific Division. As a matter of fact, they're fifth in the division. Now, uh, the, the top five teams in the division are all bunched up and who knows gonna, who's going to finish top three and who's going to finish out and fighting for a wild card spot in the Western Conference. But the team's in a much different position at this time this season than they were at this time last season when they were the best team in the Pacific Division and looked like a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. So uh, I don't think he's going to give up what it would take to bring in Timo Meyer. And then uh, I guess the bigger picture is, even if you do make that deal, how can you make that deal without some sort of certainty that you're going to be able to sign him? Because it's going to take a lot to bring in a player like Timo Meyer. There is going to be a bidding war for him. And someone's probably going to overpay. And the Flames don't have uh, a lot of picks and prospects to work with here. So uh, I would be surprised they would made a major move like that. But I could see them making a significant move. I think their two biggest needs, a top six right shot right winger, who can, again, score with ease and who can help their power play, which has been a real Achilles heel for them this season, and a depth defenseman, a 6'7 type guy. And the names I keep throwing out there, and I'm not even sure that uh, they're names that the Flames uh, have been tied to by other people, but just kind of digging through who might be available. Uh, looks like it could potentially be a, a fit for them. Brock Besser's had a decent year, but the Canucks are down on him and maybe he needs a change of scenery. He's a guy who's scored 20 goals four times in this league and I think could play in their top six and help their power play. And then the Canucks have another guy who I think the Flames would definitely be interested in, and that's Luke Shen because Daryl Sutter's coached him before, uh, has praised him, and he looks like a Daryl Sutter type of guy who can, I think, help the Flames on their third pairing and on their penalty kill. So those are a couple of names that come to mind for me, and there's probably a bunch of names that I'm not thinking of, Matt, but I see them fishing between now and March 3rd. I just don't know if I see them big game hunting uh, with a guy like Meyer. Okay, so current the current edition of the team, the guys that we know are on the squad and can actually talk about. Uh, you know, you talked about Tyler Toffoli and, and scoring another goal last night, a guy that can score from the perimeter. It'd be, mm-hmm. when you look back on that deal that they made with Montreal, and, and Brad made that deal with plenty of time before the deadline, he made his move early. It really is one of the deals that we don't talk about, but you have to really wonder where this team would be had he not made a move for a guy like Toffoli, especially right now, considering that they're having a hard time scoring goals. Yeah, and they lost two 40-goal, 100-point players in Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, and it's almost impossible to replace those players. We thought the Flames, in a way, had replaced Gaudreau with Jonathan Huberto. Both players had 115 points last season. Gaudreau scored more goals than Huberdeau, but Huberdeau, you could argue, when he's right, is one of the best playmakers in the league. So uh, we thought uh, that swap of left-wingers could work out well for the Flames, but to this point, it hasn't. Uh, It's been a tough transition for Jonathan Huberdeau, and uh, the Flames need to get him going in the final 29 games of the regular season for sure. But yeah, Tyler Foley's been a a great fit with this team. And again, he's a guy who is familiar with Daryl Sutter, and uh, kind of worked his way up through the ranks as a member of the Kings organization with Sutter. And uh, there was that relationship there, and there was that trust there. And Toffoli has been 
a really good player for the Flames. And I would say even more so this season than last season. And I think it takes players joining new teams some time, some time to get adjusted to being in a new city and playing for a new team and uh, playing for new coaches and with new teammates. And, you know, Toffoli was a good player for the Flames last season, but you could argue he's been one of their most valuable players so far this season. And it's funny, Matt, because, you know, for a good chunk of the season, and this talk has died down a lot in the last month or two, but uh, Flames fans were complaining about Tyler Toffoli playing on the right side of a line with Elias Lindholm. Didn't see him as a a first-line player or even a top-six player. Well, here we are, uh, 54 games into the regular season, and he leads the team in goals with 22 and is tied with Elias Lindholm for the team lead in points. So he's been a a great player for them, but he's uh, a bit of a dodo bird in the sense that he is a player who can score with relative ease, and the Flames just don't have enough of those guys with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk gone. So that's the type of player I think they'd like to add between now and March 3rd, but... You can want to make the deal, but it's way easier said than done, uh, especially with the flat cap. And the Flames don't have a lot of cap space next season with uh, Huberto's extension kicking in and Uyghur's extension kicking in. So, uh, again, they have to be careful who they add here, Matt, because I don't think they want to add a rental. With, with the way the team has played this season, why would you give up significant picks and prospects to bring in a rental? So I think if they bring in a player or two, uh, at least one of those guys is going to have term. Uh, a guy who could potentially be a part of their core moving forward. So that's kind of the type of player I'm looking for between now and March 3rd. You mentioned Jonathan Huberdo there, and 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 the adjustment that it ta- that it took Tyler to Foley when he came to Calgary. Do you see the same kinds of things in Jonathan Huberdo? Because listen, when that deal was made, I thought that I thought Calgary was stealing because you know you got a guy coming off a hundred plus point season. You're bringing in a defenseman in Uyghur who's really good. Not only that, you added a first round pick as well to that deal. Is it merely just moving to a different system that's not as free-flowing as maybe the one he played at in Florida? How much do you think is the relationship with Daryl Sutter? Like, listen, I don't think that Jonathan Huberdeau is a Daryl Sutter-type player. I, I think that's pretty obvious. But his his offensive output is a, a, a large cry from what we saw last year. Is it just, hey, he moved to a new city, moved new system, and we expect better things even later this year and into next year? Well, that's what they're hoping for because his contract extension hasn't even kicked in. Uh, That'll kick in next season, uh, eight years with an AAV of $10.5 million. And they paid him to be an elite player. And I love Jonathan Huberto as a guy. I really do. Uh, He's he's loved inside of that Flames dressing room, but it's been a tough season for him. And I don't think the transition for Tyler Toffoli was nearly as challenging as the transition for Jonathan Huberto has been. And I had a great chat with uh, his former Panthers teammate and current Flames teammate, Mackenzie Weger yesterday. And basically, Weger told me that, hey, we're 53, about to be 54 games into the regular season. The transition period should be over for Johnny and I, referring to Huberto. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case, uh, maybe more so for Uyghur than for Huberto, but uh, it has been a bit of a square peg in a round hole for him. And I, I do believe that things will get better, but it might not be until next season. But quite frankly, Matt, if the Flames are going to get to the playoffs and potentially make a run once they get there, they're going to need him to be a more dangerous player than he's been with 10 goals and 36 points in 51 games this season. They don't need him to be the 30-goal, 115-point player that he was with the Panthers, but they need him to be a, a point-of-game guy, and he certainly has that in him. That's kind of who he's been for his whole NHL career. So it's 
It's one to watch in the sense that I don't think it's been kumbaya between the coach and the player. Uh, there have been some things that have popped up, like that uh, one game where Jonathan Huberto left briefly, and when asked about it after the game, uh, Daryl Sutter made a comment that uh, I think he'd like to take back because it didn't sit very well with the player, with the team, or with the fan base. But uh, ultimately, it's on the player. He's the guy who's got to go out there and perform. The, the Flames do play a much different system and style than the Panthers did. Uh, they were a team that tried to win 6-5. The Flames are a team that tries to win one nothing or 2-1. So I do think that's been part of it. But hey, we're 54 games into the regular season, Matt. Uh, at some point in time, Jonathan Huberto is going to have to be the player that he's been and that uh, I believe he still can be. He's playing in a line with Nazem Kadri, and there seems to be a connection between those two. Jacob Pelche has played pretty well on the left side of it, but uh, at this stage of his career, eight games in, he's not a legitimate top six player in this league. So uh, I do wonder if they're going to add a winger to, to help Kadri and Huberto and potentially shift Huberto back to the left side and maybe bring in that right shot guy that I was talking about. But we'll see. Um, Huberto's going to have to be better, though. There's no doubt about it. I got about a minute here, and I wanted to get this in before we go. Dylan Dubé scores twice. He's he's one point. He's, he's already passed his career high in points. Um, he's having a really good year. It's, it's kind of crazy to think where this team would be had they not gotten 15 goals from Dylan Dubé at this point. Yeah, he's uh, having a career year, and it's not even close. And, and I predicted it uh, two years ago. It didn't happen. I predicted it last year, and it happened to a certain extent. Uh, and I predicted that he would take another big step this season, and it's finally happened. And you know, he's playing uh, on a really good line with Elias Lindholm, who I think is one of the best two-way centermen in the league, and Tyler Toffoli, and we've talked a lot about him. And that line really wasn't working, Matt, until Dylan Dubé was slid up to the left side of that line. And he plays with such pace and he plays with such grit that it really has helped Lindholm and Toffoli take their game to another level. And normally I think about Lindholm as a guy who elevates others, but in this case I think that Dubé has elevated him in a certain way. So that's been a, a good fit. And again, when I look at this team, Matt, I, I kind of want to end this things on a positive note. I still think if this team can get into a top three spot in the Pacific Division with the teams that they have to compete with, they've got a chance to get to the Western Conference Final. They've just got to find ways to win these one-goal games. They're built to be a, a team that wins 3-2, but they've lost too many of those games this season. So if they can get one more goal or one more save, and they certainly had an opportunity for both of those last night in that tough-to-swallow loss versus the Senators, I still think this can be a really dangerous team, but they're starting to run out of time, so they better figure it out uh, sooner rather than later. For sure. Uh, and the runway continues Thursday when they take on the Red Wings. Thank you so much, as always, Derek, for your time. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Well, a long-time listener uh, and uh, hopefully frequent caller moving forward. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. There he goes. Derek Wills, Calgary Flames, play-by-play -play voice. And, yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with what Derek said there because, listen, the Flames were a really good team last year. I get they lost two really good forwards, but I thought the moves that they made this offseason really rounded out the roster nicely. I thought bringing in Mackenzie Weger was going to make this team into an elite defending team, and that just... And that hasn't happened, and part of that is is because they haven't gotten the saves. Jacob Markstrom just flat out hasn't been the same goaltender as he was last season. Be really interesting to see what the Flames do before the trade deadline. Uh, when we come back, random player of the day, and this one is a fun one.
Uh, and after that, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show here on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet now. And as we do almost every day at this time, it is time for the random player of the day. And for this, we look at the Riga Latvia native goaltender and veteran of 568 NHL games. You know him by his equipment, the mask, and a member of the San Jose Sharks, Carolina Hurricanes, among other teams, Arturs Urbe. And this one sent in by Hayden James Barra. And, and thank you very much for sending this one in, Hayden James, because I had a lot of fun getting to know a little bit more about Archer Zerbe. Because every time I see a picture of Archer Zerbe, it feels like he has a massive smile on his face. And everything and everything that I learned about him was that that was not a fake. Like he always had a smile on his face. So a couple of things. Um, not a very big guy, only 5'8". And and as was told to me, super athletic. Like you at the end of practice, very, very often, um, you could flip a puck down to his end of the ice. And if it was at a certain height, he would like scissor kick the puck as if he were like in a in a karate movie. In his equipment. Super athletic. But one thing that I was told about him was he was one of the worst players of the puck a goal as a goaltender that you've ever seen. They, the, the sharks tried to make him better at it. Everybody tried to work on it and they just couldn't do it. And I was told he didn't make bad plays. He made perfect plays for the other team. One in particular, they had a, a playoff series when he was in San Jose a playoff series against the flames. And in Calgary, they have very, very lively boards. Um, an assistant coach tried to, he took him aside after practice and he showed him and he, he shot a puck against the boards and, and we saw it bounce off the boards. And the coach said, do you understand? And he said, yeah. Or he said, do you see that? He says, yeah. So they go into the game, the flames at near the end of the game, dump the puck in hard. Irby goes out to play it, not realizing that the puck is going to bounce off the boards very lively. It bounces off the boards, comes back out in front and the Flames couldn't, they had an empty net. Player goes to celebrate as if he, you know, had scored a goal. The puck actually slid to him. He missed the puck. The Sharks end up winning, thankfully. So the assistant coach goes up to Archer Zerbe after the game and says, what were you doing? He goes, well, what are you talking about? He goes, don't you remember what I told you in practice? And Archer Zerbe just looked at him and said, oh, I thought you were showing me how good your slap shot was because you've been working on it a lot in practice. And had no idea that he was talking about how lively the boards were in Calgary. So not only not only a very good goaltender, but uh, a bit of a character as well. And and he was the first star in San Jose. The fans, whenever Arthur Zerbe's name was announced, would go absolutely crazy. And in those early years of the franchise, there were some very trying times with the San Jose Sharks, as we know. 
but they had the biggest turnaround in NHL history. And, and that was because Archer's Urbe was their goalie. Again, he was the first star that the Sharks ever had. And, and part of that whole thing with the character is the, the Sharks were playing a series against the Red Wings. And as we know, Dino Cicerelli lived in front of the net. He made a Hall of Fame career of living in front of the net. And he ran over Arter's Urbe to try and get him off his game. They tried everything. So he ran, he runs him over, and Arter's Urbe just gets up, smiles at him, and says, Hey, Dino, how are you doing? And to which Cicerelli said after, I don't know how you get mad at a guy like that when he responds that way. So that was that was Archer Zerbe in, in a nutshell. And the one thing that a lot of people may not know is that in 1991, um, when the Soviet army went into Lithuania and they were moving towards Latvia, Archer Zerbe was behind the barricades and behind the sandbags protecting his fellow countrymen as Latvia tried to gain their independence. He was there when the tanks were rolling through, and this was just before he came to the NHL. When he wore the Soviet red jersey in international hockey, he said, I'm not wearing the Soviet red. I'm I'm Latvian. And then he he decided that he wasn't going to play for the Soviet Union anymore, and he didn't, and he ended up representing Latvia. The one thing that I will leave you with on Arter's Urbe that I found out was when the NHL still had ties, uh, the Sharks one year had like 17 ties. And every time they would tie the game, they would tie a game, Arthur Zerbe would skate to the bench and he would say, that's my point. Because he felt that every time there was a tie, the point that they got was because of all the work that he did. The tie, that's my point. So that was our random player of the day, Arthur's Zerbe. And if you have one for yourself that you would like us to talk about, JM Show at sportsnet.ca as we bring along Scott Lachlan from the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Scotty, how are you today? I'm doing well. I've got a little tidbit for you on Arthur Zerbe if you want it, Matt. Please do. Well, Kevin Weeks told me years ago when he played with Archie Urbe down in Carolina, he said, and we all remember those pillow pads, right? Yes. And, and I don't know if you brought this up, but he had those pillow pads, and Weeks, he told me years ago that on road trips, on the flight, uh, between stops, he would have the needle and thread out, and he would be sewing his pads between games from city to city. How about that? Those pillow pads were actually handcrafted by Archie Urbe. How about that? So it's funny that you mentioned that because that was the one thing that I that I forgot to mention. So I was told, like very, like you mentioned, very meticulous with his equipment. Mm-hmm. Like it was his. You did not touch it, and it was also described to me as old and gross. Because we saw those pads. Listen, we saw those pads when he was in Carolina. They literally looked like they had gone through the war. Like, they were ratted. They were yeah. the coloration. Like, there was no white on those pads anymore. Like yeah, they were absolutely. Filthy. And, Matt, we should have had a clue. He was wearing that ugly Jofa helmet, yes. too, right? Like, for goalies to wear those helmets, I mean, it was bad enough for a player to have to wear one of those buckets. But for a goaltender to do it, I mean, you had to have a little bit of guts. Yeah, no question. And uh, listen, when we look back on the career of Archer Zerby, the one thing I said was I, every time I see a picture of him, he's always smiling. And that was the impression <laughs> that I got from anybody that knew him, that that was him. Like, that was not a ploy. Like, Archer Zerby was always smiling. And that's what I'll remember about him. 
Yeah, big character of the game. And, you know, we talk about present-day goaltenders in Carolina, and we talk about the pressure and the opportunity that lies ahead for a guy like Freddie Anderson. Uh, We also look back on a guy like Cam Ward, like coming up on Thursday night. He's going to be honored by the Canes as well, and everybody knows about his exploits starting back in 2006 when he kind of rescued the Canes after being down 0-2 in that opening series against the Montreal Canadiens. Marty Gerber actually lost his job, came back and shut out the Sabres in Buffalo in the Eastern Conference Final right smack dab in the middle of that series, and then it was Cam Ward who took the team across the finish line for the first ever Stanley Cup championship. Okay, so let's focus on the on the Hurricanes here, and and you know, to me, they're such an interesting team because the moves that they made this off season, they they indicated, okay, we are all in. They went in and they got Brent Burns, and that was a sweetheart of a deal for them. And they traded for Max Pacioretty, who had one year left on his deal. Burns has worked out. Pacioretty unfortunately hasn't because of injury. But when I think of a team going out, trying to make a big splash that has the space to do it, that has guys locked into contracts, especially on the back end that are very, very team friendly, that could make a Timo Meyer extension work. My goodness, the Carolina Hurricanes are at the front of that list. Yeah, I think we would expect them to do something, Matt, just because we saw what the Rangers did with Tarasenko. And as soon as the Rangers did that, I said, okay, well, they're out of the Patrick Kane sweepstakes. They're out of the Timo Meyer sweepstakes. So now you look at teams like Carolina and you look at teams like New Jersey, uh, teams that might be looking to add. Now, if you're New Jersey and you go in on one of those aforementioned players, you have to also recognize the fact that you might lose Jesper Bratt before it's all said and done. Who knows what his contract's going to look like as well. But that's the first thing I thought of. Okay, here it's an arms race in the Metropolitan Division in particular. The Rangers are markedly better. We've already seen the after effects of that acquisition and how it's worked out for Tarasenko and for the Rangers. And for his BFF, Artemi Panera, of course, going back to that victory in Raleigh on Saturday. So now I wonder, okay, well, what are you going to do, Tom Fitzgerald in New Jersey? What are you going to do, Don Waddell in Carolina, to try to keep pace with the New York Rangers? And I think that we've heard for the longest time about Patrick Kane. We've heard for the longest time now about Timo Meyer. And I think those players could be on the particular radar of those two teams. Who I, I pose this question to you because I, I don't necessarily, I, I, maybe I have one in mind, but is there a specific player that you think is the most interesting? Because the guy I keep coming back to is Dylan Larkin, because mm. it does feel like there's, there has to be a decision to be made there because Detroit, Detroit's not in a position to let him walk for nothing. I don't think. And it, Steve Eiserman probably has a number in mind that he's not willing to budge off of. And Dylan Larkin, you know, has to weigh out. Do I want to stay in Detroit with the way things are going right now? Do I want the extra year? Cause I know I can't get that in free agency. And if none of those things happen, do the Detroit Red Wings make Dylan Larkin available, which changes everything around the league? Yeah, it does. And maybe the recent three-game winning streak has changed the outlook on things as well. I mean, suddenly they're tied with the Buffalo Sabres, and you look at Detroit and Buffalo, each with the games in hand on, of course, some of the rivals, the teams that are jockeying for playoff position with at this point. Both teams on the outside looking in, but maybe both teams in with a chance at this point. So the next couple of weeks... South Florida and Dylan Larkin if he was asked about it once he was asked about it a hundred times are you coming are you going do you want to stay in Detroit and of course he's saying what you'd expect a kid from Michigan to say 
uh, and he wants to stay. I just wonder why it's gotten this far. I can't believe it's gotten this far for a guy who, again, is Michigan born and bred, was the captain uh, of the Wolverines going back years ago when he played at Ann Arbor, uh, a guy that's tailor-made for that market, a guy who I think is their most consistent and best forward, and we've seen that certainly in the last couple of W's that they've posted. I can't believe it's gotten this far. I, I can't believe it's not a done deal. Now, some will say, hey, look, I believe in the Iser plan, and I believe the Iser plan is going to work. And I and Steve Eiserman, we trust. You know, Stevie Eiserman, you know, he kind of rolled the dice on Steven Stamkos, as we know, years ago. And when Steven Stamkos had the chance to come back here to Southern Ontario, he passed on that to stay in Tampa with a competitive team that was going to, you know, go on and win some Stanley Cups and be competitive each and every year. Oh, yeah, the tax situation is very, very favorable. I just wonder, has Eiserman overplayed his plan here? I don't really know uh, whether that's the case. I guess we'll find out here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, because if he thinks he's going to go down the road of Steven Stamkos and, hey, he might take less to stay here so I can you know, work out longer-term things with some other players, I mean, the tax situation in Florida is much different than it is in Michigan, as we know, too. So at the end of the day, Dylan Larkin's got to look at what he clears from a financial perspective. He wants to be there. I can't believe it's not done yet. Uh, but again, if Detroit's going to kind of hang around this race here, I mean, I can't see them trading Dylan Larkin. If they fall back out of it, then I, I, I would certainly think that all bets are off. I still think in some bottom drawer there in his office, maybe Stevie Wise got a contract and it's somewhere between 8 and $9 million on a long-term extension for Dylan Larkin to keep the captain around longer. Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And, and you know, I, there's there's a couple of interesting things going on here. Like there are some teams that you look at and say, okay, maybe they're a piece away. Maybe they're two pieces away. That That's something that they can accomplish at the deadline. Now I look at two teams that have made significant deals, one in the off season and one in season, and both are on the outside looking in and have suffered brutal losses against Let's face it, not very good teams. And those are the Flames and the Islanders. The Flames obviously made the Huberdo and Uyghur deal in the offseason. They brought in Nazem Kadri. And the Islanders brought in Bo Horvat this season. Yes, they have signed him to an extension. Yes, we understand all that. But which is more of a disappointment if they don't get in? I would think probably Calgary would be more disappointing uh, just because of the changes that they did make and reaching out to get those players the way that they did, uh, losing Kachuk, losing Gaudreau. But again, we think being well-stocked and well-fortified to maintain their spot in the Pacific Division with Jonathan Huberdeau, a guy who had exactly the number of points that Johnny Gaudreau had last season with Mackenzie Weger, we think making a big difference on the blue line. Uh, I think with all that's been invested in that Calgary situation for a team that did so well within the division last season i think to me they would be more disappointing you know have the stakes risen on long island for the islanders now that bo horvat's there i think so there's no question that they were just looking for the extra half goal per game they were looking for increased proficiency on the power play i think they've received that more or less in the early going from bo horvat so i think he gives them a much more realistic shot at making the playoffs calgary would be a major disappointment if they were going to miss certainly when you've got daryl sutter you're in it to win it right now with 
with a veteran-laden coach who, of course, at times can be a little bit gruff, and we've seen the way he's handled Jacob Peltier in his first you know, six or seven National Hockey League games as well. So I think that Calgary, Matt, to me, would be a little bit more disappointing just because of how good they were last season and where they've apparently fallen to at this point. With the questions in goal, too, you wonder, how is this going to play out the rest of the way? I appreciate the fact that Daryl Sutter's been loyal to Jacob Markstrom, but we saw in the overtime winner last night the Tim Stutzla shot that got right through the big six foot six goaltender who looked anything but large on that particular play. They've not received the best from number 25, and unless he gets it massively turned around here in the next couple of weeks, that team could be in a whole lot of trouble. I'm glad you brought up Tim Stutzla there because as part of my open, I talked about, you know, I remember during that 2020 before like draft season, like before the draft happened, there was talk that maybe Stutzla would go second to LA. And I mean, you know, hindsight's always 2020, but I do wonder if they're, if they're really looking at that and going, well, you know, if we had, if we had drafted Tim Stutzla, we probably didn't need to trade for Kevin Fiala. But when we look at that 2020 draft, I remember people saying like, there is a very good chance that Tim Stutzla is not only better than Quentin Byfield, but that he's better than Alexei Lafreniere and not, and last night, notwithstanding, because that was a great performance in its own right, but he's already, you know, approaching a career high in points. He set that last year in 79 games. He's one away. And I think we're really watching Tim Stutzla blossom into a really great player. And it's it really does give you, you know, when you look at that forward group in Ottawa with Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris when he's healthy and Batherson and even Giroux for, you know, the next couple of seasons, I look at that team and say, man, if they could just add one pretty good defenseman to go with Shabbat and Sanderson and figure out their goaltending, I, I dare think how good Ottawa could be. Yeah, I had Ottawa pushing up on a playoff spot before it was all said and done. I think, as a matter of fact, don't hold me to it, Matt, but I think I had Ottawa making the playoffs this season. That's how much I was drinking the Kool-Aid during the offseason. I think I did, too. And believe it or not, I think I had Boston missing. How's that working out, right? I, I had them the missing, right too. Now. I had them missing, <laughs> so, too, Scotty. We're in the same boat. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes you throw stuff up against the wall, and sometimes it sticks, and sometimes it falls to the ground, in this case, falling to the ground. But to your point on Stutzla, I mean, go back to the draft. I, I, I was mentioning on our live coverage of the draft that one particular night, I said I like Stutzla uh, to go in front of Byfield. I think that would be my choice. And I only based that upon what we had seen from him at the World Juniors prior to the draft, playing for Germany. And he just looked like a dynamic game-breaker, full of all kinds of skill. And we've seen that already. One of those guys that we mentioned has already gotten paid because he's had that much of an impact on the Ottawa Centers, including last night when at times he was fighting the puck and then you look up and he's got the overtime winner and three more assists to boot as well. So I've always been a huge Stutzla fan. Uh, I think he is that game-breaking guy that they, of course, were looking for at that particular time. And I agree with you. I mean, defensively, we've heard from Pierre Dorian for months and months, even going back before the puck was even dropped on the season in October, about the fact that he was chasing a top-four quality defenseman. At this point, he's still chasing. And it's not due to lack of effort, because we've, we've heard uh, from the insiders that they've asked half the league about what's available on defense, and as of yet, they haven't come to a deal. Now with Jake Sanderson being down for a couple of weeks, it makes their task markedly tougher. I think it gives them an opportunity in Ottawa, too, to see big six-foot-seven-inch goaltender Matt Sogard, who won that game last night. To me, he looks to be in the best shape of his life, going back to, again, when we saw him at the World Junior a couple of years ago uh, when we saw him back in the preseason and such. 
he's going to be given an opportunity here for at least another week or so before Talbot comes back. And even when Talbot comes back, how long is he there for? Is he going to be traded on or before March 3rd as well? So Matt Sogard with an opportunity here down the stretch to, to show what kind of a role he could potentially play for the Ottawa Senators as early as next season. But you're right. I mean, up front, uh, despite the fact that the Brinkett hasn't necessarily been anything uh, approaching consistent this season, I think there are a number of offensive players here that they can hang their hat on. Uh, like you say, I mean, add on the blue line, find some stability and goal, and I think Ottawa will be just fine going into the next season. You know, and the guy that keeps coming up, and I honestly, Scotty, I look at this situation and I don't know how the Ottawa Senators are not making the best possible pitch to get Jacob Chikrin because they have the pieces. I know they don't want to give away their first round pick this year. I understand that, but you have the pieces. Like for me, I, I the, the guy that they didn't seem to want to move is Shane Pinto. And when you have such a wealth of talent up front, like that's a hit that you would, should be willing to take because bringing in a guy like Chikrin who has two years after this year at a very favorable cap hit, uh, might I add, which has been very well documented. I don't know how the Ottawa Senators do not push in their chips to bring in Jacob Chikrin, and then you can figure out your goaltending situation. Yeah, unfortunately for Pinto, as we know, the injuries have, have really uh, hampered his early progress as a consistent National Hockey Leaguer. He does have the dynamic ability, I think, that we spoke of when we talk about Stutzla as well. Uh, to your point, I mean, we have heard that teams were looking for Ridley Gregg also, and they've got such high expectations for Ridley Gregg, and anytime he's played for Hockey Canada in the last couple of years, I think people have been more than impressed with that kid. They don't want to part with him either. So we'll see where they end up i mean they've got all kinds of prospects most of which are now at the nhl level uh and this team's going to be in really really good shape i think and going forward as well we're not talking about the kids anymore maybe we are uh, you're talking about a young leader in brady kachuk and just watching him play again last night i mean he's the type of guy like his brother that just drags everybody into the fight right mm-hmm. i mean you're having a slow night it's tough to get going the whole bit brady kachuk just brings the energy and momentum and oh by the way some skill uh, as well to 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 really lead that team. Uh, and, and I look, I grew up in a time where power forwards were my favorite players, right? Like I loved Rick Tockett back in the mid to late 80s. I loved Wendell Clark and Cam Neely and Gary Roberts and players like that. These are my types of guys. Brady Kachuk's that kind of old throwback, right? Where he can beat you in any which way. Skill like the aforementioned names. He can bang bodies. Uh, he can fight when he has to. He's got tremendous leadership qualities. Every time I watch Ottawa, I become more and more impressed with Brady Kachuk. I'll tell you this. I, I know there are a lot of people that they, you know, like the Kachucks are, they're, they're heels, right? They are, mm-hmm. they're the best at what they do. I don't, if there is someone that doesn't want either of those guys on their team, I think they're crazy because I, I would take those two guys on my team any day of the week, because I know personally when I played, albeit not very well, I had an appreciation for those guys because they would do things that other people aren't willing to do. Like look at last night. And I know it didn't end very well for him and not, it wasn't anything crazy, but like he went right after Nikita Zadorov mm-hmm. and he tried to knock him over. And, and Zadorov is a big, big man, yeah. but there is no fear in Brady Kachuk. And that's why I would love to see Brady Kachuk play in the playoffs because I think he would be an absolute treat to watch. Oh, absolutely. He's got that type of game that translates from the regular season to the postseason. I think we know that without even having witnessed it firsthand as of yet. You know, and these guys are, are they're unicorns, right? I mean, Matt, there used to be all kinds of guys 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago that would be considered power forwards, fight, hit, score, 
lead the whole bit. Now there are fewer and fewer of these players. Like we were just talking this morning, too, about the exploits of a guy like Lawson Krauss from the Coyotes. He scores two more goals last night. He's going to eclipse his career totals. The last two seasons under Bear Tourney, Andre Tourney, he's really, really progressed and taken his game to another level. He's been very complimentary of his head coach, as you'd expect he would. But here's a guy, of course, took a little while to get going, especially when you're in a situation like Arizona where you're not having a whole lot of success in winning most nights. I mean, last night was their first road victory since November 23rd. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Uh, but Lawson Kress has really, really developed. And, you know, to me, that's a guy here, you know, approaching his mid-20s that's in the prime of his career or maybe scratching the surface as to where he's going to be. I think he's still young enough, Lawson Kress. What we hear about, you know, guys like Jacob Chikrin and the goaltender Vamelka, what we talk about Gostas Bear on the back end, and these guys might be as good as gone. I think Lawson Kress is a guy from Bill Armstrong out there in Arizona that I want to uh, keep a hold of for a while longer because I think he's young enough still and he's really just getting into his game now at the NHL level. I think he's young enough now where he can grow and go through this rebuild and still have a a number of good seasons left on the back end. I do wonder about the allure of being to see like obviously they've I'm assuming they put his name out there as he could be available for the right price. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the allure is for a team like Arizona to say listen we're not even going to be good next year and we may not be good the year after like, and Lawson Krause at that point is, you know, 27, 28 years old. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they look at it and say, there are plenty of teams that are looking for this and we can ask for a premium for this player who is going to score 20 goals for the second consecutive season. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you're talking about Arizona and you're wondering what next season looks like, and as you say, the season after where you're going to be calling home, are you going to have any luck in the draft lottery and get you-know-who? I mean, all these questions are out there to be answered for Arizona. Uh, I, would, I would tend to hold on to him because I think he's still young enough where he can withstand the next couple of seasons and still have more to deliver once they come out of all this, this darkness that they're in out there in Arizona right now for the team on and off the ice. So uh, he's a guy that's really blossoming. And as, as we say, too, just a, a guy who's a bit of a throwback, a guy who's a big, strong kid who can hit, who can fight, who can score uh, and lead in many different ways. Scotty, I wanted to ask you about Minnesota because uh, th- it does really feel like on any given night, if if Kirill Kaprizov is not scoring, then nobody else is going mm. to. And that was the case last night. They go into the shootout. They lose to the Panthers. There's not a lot of wiggle room here contract-wise because they, they want. I'm sure they want to add a scorer, but with the situation that they have, that cap crunch coming up, Minnesota is a team that I really wonder about because if they could add a scorer, I think that they are a team that could make noise in the Western Conference because of the way that they're built. They they have skill. They're nasty. They've got tough players. Like they they brought in Ryan Reeves, and what a difference the team has. Uh, it's looked like a different team once they brought in Ryan Reeves. But the fact that they don't have that additional score really makes me wonder about if this team is even going to make the playoffs, but I do believe that they're one team. If they can get in, they could be really fun to watch. Yeah, you know, we talk about goaltending, too, and we talk about Calgary, and it's a time for Dan Vladar to play more at the expense of Jacob Markstrom. Same question in Minnesota. I know they lost last night, but Philip Gustafson once again gave up just the one goal and gave his team more than ample opportunity to win that game against the Panthers. Maybe he needs to play a little bit more, too, uh, over Marc-Andre Fleury, the future Hockey Hall of Famer. We'll have to wait and see what Dean Everson decides to do. Uh, but I agree with you, Matt. I mean, this team is just having a hard time generating offense, and I, I like Dean Everson's 
quote after the game last night. I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to paraphrase right now. But he essentially said, you know, we talk about we can't score, we can't score, we can't score. Well, guess what? The more you talk about it, the more it actually happens. They can't score. So he's refusing to talk about their lack of offense now. And he's trying to focus more on defense, which they did last night. It was a low-event game against the Florida Panthers. And it seemed like the Panthers were more than happy just to play that sort of game as well and ride the strong goaltending of Sergei Bobrovsky to pick up that road two points that's very big for a team that all of a sudden here in the past couple of weeks has started to play better and maybe have turned the corner. But yeah, Minnesota looks like they're going to be nipping top now to make the playoffs because they just can't generate enough offense. Uh, I think that's what Bill Guerin's going to try to do. As we know for Minnesota with the Suter and Parise buyouts and the aftermath of all that and all of those ramifications, I think Bill Guerin's approaching it like, if I can do a dollar-in, dollar-out deal, then I'll make a deal that will help us and maybe inject some offense. The other thing to watch, too, here, uh, I think, Matt, is the fact that Matt Dumba seemingly has been on the trade block forever. I know he's been linked to the Leafs and other teams over the last couple of months. Is this the time now on an expiring contract, finally in the final season of his long-term contract, is this where Matt Dumba gets moved? Because there again, if you want to sacrifice a little bit from the blue line, you can trade Matt Dumba perhaps to get some help up front. But I think more or less it's got to be dollar in, dollar out, and it's probably got to be expiring contract for expiring contract because Bill Guerin knows he's up against it as far as the cap is concerned. All right. The the latest that we had uh, before the show started was uh, Vladislav Gavrikov is the latest mm-hmm. player uh, come on down to be – I call it's called TRR. That's what we're going to call it because <laughs> it's going to become a new thing, trade-related reasons. Um do you think this is the norm now for teams that are out of the playoffs? Because Elliot mentioned it saying, I wonder, you know, if this becomes something that happens more often than just, Hey, Matt Zuccarello gets scratched. Then he gets dealt the next day or Ilya Labushkin gets scratched. He gets dealt that night. We're like Jacob Chikrin. Basically they've been, we've been told that he's not playing until he's traded. I'm assuming the same is for Vladislav Gavrikov. Do you think that for teams that are out of the playoffs, that this is something that continues? I think it is, Matt. I think this is catching on here, and maybe Chikrin was the first, and now we've got Gavrikov, and who knows is going to be next. I mean, we've seen it for seasons, right, in baseball, right? When you follow Major League Baseball and the trade deadline comes up and guys are scratched a day or two or the day of the deadline itself, you know it's for trade-related reasons, as you say, the TRR. Uh, I remember, and hockey, of course, has done it differently, which makes this conversation not more, much more interesting, I think. I mean, hockey has always done it where, no, you're in the lineup and you're playing and you're plying your trade and you're showing your wares right up until the final moment. I mean, who could forget Mike Camilleri, right? I think Camilleri was playing for the Canadians still, and they were in a game in Calgary, and halfway through the game he got the tap on the shoulder that that's it, you're coming out of the game, yep. you're, you're going to get traded. And the funniest thing was afterwards, I guess he had asked to keep his Montreal Canadian sweater. Management said, no, no, we're going to take that sweater on the way out the door. But thank you for everything nonetheless. They wanted yeah, him exactly. to pay for it, I heard. Yeah, he wanted to pay for it. Why not, right? Uh, it seems to be a little bit petty. In fact, I know it to be a little bit petty based upon what he had given that organization. So, look, I mean, hockey's always handled it differently. But I think maybe they've come around to this baseball mindset, this baseball way of thinking that if we've got an asset here, especially when you're talking about a guy like Chikrin, who's been banged up as much as he has in the first number of years of his career leading up to this point, right? I mean, he's a physical freak. He's a great specimen. We see all these social media videos of him doing box jumps, 
during the offseason and that sort of thing, that's all well and good. But he spent a lot of time on the sidelines. And if you've got an asset that's been on the block now for months and months, an asset that has requested a trade, you want to make sure that you provide uh, the open door for him to leave and for you to reap the benefits of the assets coming back in return, too. So uh, I think this has the potential uh, to really catch on a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more of these cases here the closer we get to March 3rd. Okay, uh, this one is not a hockey question, but I will end on this one. Um, As a staunch Dallas Cowboys Mm. supporter, how happy were you that Dak Prescott won a trophy at State Farm Stadium and the Philadelphia Eagles did not? Well, I I was was happy. Um, I, I would say this, Matt. It didn't surprise me that Eagles fans were booing Dak Prescott for winning the Walter Payton Man yep. of the Year award. They're like, the worst. Are you kidding me? They're the that worst. Is the, that's the most important, Matt, award on the planet, as you know. This is what they do in terms of community service and giving back to charity and things of that nature. Say what you will about Dak Prescott and whether you can win with him or not and too many interceptions the second half of the season and the whole bit. Okay. But this guy won the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. He's going to have that, that crest emblazoned on his number four Dallas Cowboys jersey next season for community service and charitable endeavors. And the classless Philadelphia Eagles fans have the nerve to boo Dak Prescott under those circumstances. Despicable. They eventually got what was coming to the mat. <laughs> they booed Santa Claus. I mean, it doesn't get any and worse successful landings at the airport, by the way, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, listen, Scotty, as always, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, buddy. Anytime, Matt. Thank you. There you go. Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Heavy up against the, blo- the break here. So when we come back, Eric Erlinson, uh, it's a little too quiet surrounding the Tampa Bay Lightning, which means that they're going to go out and get an impact player and they're going to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Again, Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show, listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the final segment of today's program for Valentine's Day. Tuesday. February the 14th. Jeff will be back tomorrow. He's on assignment today. Matt Marchese filling in as we await Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com. The Tampa Bay Lightning are super interesting because, listen, as we know, they are an incredible team. And they're going to get the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. That is pretty much a guarantee. So the question becomes, what do the Tampa Bay Lightning do ahead of trade deadline? Do the Tampa Bay Lightning go out and add? I think they will. Are the Tampa Bay Lightning tailoring their trade deadline plans to beating the Toronto Maple Leafs? Or does it matter because the Tampa Bay Lightning have already been there? These are all things that when I I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and I look at the players that they've added over the course of the last couple of deadlines three deadlines if if you want. And it seems like whoever they add at deadline time just seems to work. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com joining Matt Marchese here on the line. Eric, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. What's going on? 
Um, I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning a lot lately, as you are because you cover the team. But I, I'm looking at this, and I know that generally speaking, it's very quiet surrounding the Lightning because not a lot gets out of that front office, um, much like not a lot gets out of Detroit, uh, Steve Eiserman's new team. Um, but I look at this situation and I say, are they are they going to add based on another potentially long series with the Toronto Maple Leafs or does it matter who they're playing in the first round? Because they've been there, done that, got that T-shirt, and they've won Stanley Cups in the process. Is there is there a rhyme or reason for what they're doing in terms of like their matchup? Or do they, they even think about that? And it's just, we're just going to add what we think fits for our team for a lengthy playoff run here. Yeah, I think it's definitely the latter. You know, I, I think that they have a very pragmatic approach to taking a step back and evaluating their team, evaluating their roster, looking at what they have, what they feel could be better, where improvements need to be made. They identify that, and they go out and make the moves, right? So I don't think it matters if they face Toronto, whoever. You know, obviously it's most likely going to be the Leafs again in round one. And, you know, they're not going to make moves to specifically try and counteract. And there he goes. What he was, what he was about to say was, I'm pretty sure, was that he doesn't think that they're going to, whatever the Leafs do has no bearing on the Tampa Bay line. And I, I believe that that is the case. I, I, I was kind of saying it even half tongue in cheek because in the Toronto market, that's what's been talked about. You got to play Tampa and it's different because the Leafs have not won a playoff series since I was in high school. And for those playing the home game, that was a long time ago. And so I do believe that the Toronto Maple Leafs are looking at making acquisitions based on playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I agree. And, and Eric's back on the line. I'll let you. I'll let you finish your thought just about um, you know how they're going to approach this deadline here. Yeah, like I, I don't know where I got cut off, but you know they're not trying to build their roster to defeat the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're trying to build their roster to win another Stanley Cup. And if you look at the way Julian Breezeball has attacked the trade deadline the last three years specifically. You know, giving up uh, a premium for what he feels needs to fill out the roster, he's going to go out and do it. And it's probably not going to be big game hunting. You know, you're not going to see Patrick Kane uh, linked to this team, salary cap withstanding. You know, for that reason, I I think you're going to find, you know. Okay, that's twice now. He's certainly not on a Roger cell phone. That I can tell you as we try and get him back on the line. You know, when you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and their cap space, I mean, it's not as if they are just swimming in it. They they have to figure some things out. They do have some LTIR room, but they're, they're pressed up against the cap. So anything that they do does really feel like a money-in, money-out type of deal. Like maybe... Maybe they try and move a guy like Vladislav Nemesnikov and his two point five million to make some room. But other than that, I mean, you 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 don't have a lot to you don't have a lot to choose from in terms of moving money out. Maybe they try and acquire more LTIR space before the trade deadline. But when you look at this team, especially on the back end. You know, they've got some guys locked up. You know, Mikhail Sergachev's $8.5 million kicks in next season. Victor Hedman's already making 7.875. This season was the first year of Andre Vasilevsky's big ticket of 9.5 
million dollars. And then you've got Kucherov and Point at nine point five, and Stamkos at eight point five. Like these are these are all significant cap hits. So when when Eric talks about not going big game hunting here. I don't think that that is going to be, I, I agree with that. And Eric, uh, thankfully we got you back here. Um, I, I did want to ask you about a specific player because it does feel like the type of guy that this organization would, would look at. And there is the relationship with Steve Eisman, of course, from his time in Tampa Bay. It, do you believe that they have any interest in a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi, who really does look like a player that would fit marvelously with this group? I think that they would, just in the sense that uh, we know he can score goals. I mean, I, I think he had four goals against Tampa Bay in a game last year, so they saw that up front and personal. Uh, but also because of the type of game that he can play, right? It's kind of that gritty style, that, that playoff style, even though, you know, I don't know how many playoff games he's appeared in, you know, in his career, whether NHL or anywhere else. But uh, he has that kind of style to his game, and that's kind of where they need to – you know, if you, if you want to step back and look at this roster, that's kind of where they need some help is in their bottom six. You know, they got plenty of talent up front. they got lots of game breakers up front. They haven't been getting the consistent production from their lower guys, uh, lower line guys uh, that they're used to, right? Corey Perry had 19 goals last year. He's at 10 this year. Ross Colton had 22, 23 goals last year. He's at 10 this year. They're not getting that same type of production. So you bring in a guy who can play a third, fourth line style, but also add some offense. I, I think that, you know, he kind of fits that bill of what you're looking at. It's just, again, with this team, it's always a question of what kind of salary cap can you make work? Well, and that, and that was the question that I was going to ask is who goes out? Like, do they move, try and move a guy like Nemesnikov, who, who's a UFA is, uh, his ticket is 2.5 million. Like, is that a guy that they have any interest in moving? Because as I look down this list here, I don't see a whole heck of a lot that they have to maneuver with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 I mean, Julian said it last month when we talked to him, any, any deal that's going to be made is going to have to be dollar in, dollar out, similar to what they did last year. You know, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, why would Detroit want Nemestikov, you know, unless you're going to try and flip him, you know, or, or anybody else off this roster, really, except maybe a Ross Colton, a guy like that who's still a little bit younger, you know, similar to Matthew Joseph when, when they were able to move him to Ottawa last year. You know, so it, it would have to probably be along those lines as opposed to a guy who's a pending UFA. I mean, Alex Kalorn is a pending UFA. Would you look at moving him, or do you think he helps your team, you know, win a Stanley Cup? He's been with you for his entire career. Yeah, so it, it is going to be a process. They don't have a first-round pick this year. They don't have a first-round pick next year. They don't have a second-round pick this year. So it's going to be a challenge uh, for uh, Julian Brisbane and his staff to find ways to make deals fit. But just kind of given his uh, recent history here the last couple of years, he's going to do something to try and bolster this team. I have no doubt in my mind. You know, when I when I look at at this team and and I'll and I'll pose this question to you, do you think that they even need to add? Like this is it's essentially the same team and I know Andre Palat is is not there anymore, but it is very close to the team that we saw go to the Stanley Cup final last season and and thanks in large part to the play of Brandon Hagel who was their big deadline acquisition and some people thought that they overpaid. He has been way better than advertised frankly he's been fantastic since becoming a member of the lightning so does does that uh, a move like that where he's really improved and kind of taken over uh, some of the scoring that they didn't get from guys like perry and colton are they good enough to not make a move and still make a run here i i think you can make that argument that they would be um 
you know, I, I mean, Hagel's played so well, we don't even talk about the absence of Andre Pallad anymore and what he meant to this team for almost a decade, right? That's how good Brandon Hagel has been this year. You know, the guy that they, you talk about having missed is Ryan McDonough on the back end. I don't think their defense is as strong uh, and certainly not as deep as it was last year. I mean, Ian Cole's come in and he, he's played fine, but he's not Ryan McDonough. He doesn't have that same type of overall game to him. Um, but could they do it? Yeah. I, I think you, you worry a little bit about the, um, some of the speed, again, going back to the bottom line guys. I mean, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, you can see he's lost a step. Uh, Corey Perry obviously has lost a step. Uh, Pat Maroon has never had a uh, been fleet of foot, uh, so to speak, you know, as he's kind of gotten older uh, as well. So, you know, do you worry about the speed a little bit? And maybe that's where Nemestikov comes in handy in the playoffs, is that he can skate and, and everything. So, I, I mean, you could make the argument that they don't need to make a move because they have a, 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 a good enough roster. And when you have Andre Vasilevsky in net, you're always going to have a chance to win. So, um, But I, I still believe that they're going to make some sort of a, of a move, whether it's to maybe add another defenseman or a bottom six guy. Nikita Kucherov is having an absolutely fantastic season. And, and I, to me, it feels like it's not being talked en- enough about. Maybe, maybe in the Tampa market it is, but certainly across NHL circles, I don't think that Nikita Kucherov is getting the credit he deserves for the year that he's having because he's leading the league in assists and he's, I believe, third in scoring. It's probably the most underrated third in scoring season that I've seen in the last little while here. Yeah, he's actually, uh, I believe, on pace to match the 100 and what he had 129 points in 19 when he won the MVP, right? So he's having the same type of offensive year, and obviously it's been overshadowed by what Connor McDavid has done and and Drysaddle right next uh, alongside of him. He's just, you know, he's just a wizard. Uh, you know, leading the league in assists. If you watch some of the passes he makes, yeah, you know, I've said this before. We all are wowed by what Connor McDavid can do, and we see it as soon as it happens and, and everything he can do on the ice. Nikita Kucherov is a guy that he wows you when you go back and look at it on replay because you're like, how did he do that? And, and you just see some of the, you know, the passes and the vision and, and some of the thought process that goes through his head. Uh, yeah, he's having a fantastic year. And, you know, maybe it's because he hasn't had a chance to play a full season since um, – you know, the, the 1920 season, right? Uh, he, he obviously he missed the entire 21-shortened season. Uh, he missed three months last year uh, as a part of the reason why he missed, you know, the 21 season. So maybe he doesn't get talked about in that manner just because of uh, we haven't seen him play at this level for a few years. And maybe we just take it for granted, too. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's because of Tampa market or whatever it is. But Nikita Kucherov is easily one of the top five offensive players in the league. Yeah, he absolutely is is fantastic to watch. I Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. One player that, you know, coming off of an injury and, and, you know, expectations weren't high because of coming off of the injury. And he started out pretty well and has really tailed off of late offensively as Anthony Sorelli. And that was a player that I think with, with the loss of Andre Palat that some were expecting that maybe he takes the next step offensively in his game. What have you seen from Sorelli, and is there any concern about him? You know, his his ticket, his big ticket kicks in next season, where he's going to make over six million dollars, and that's not that's not an insignificant number, especially for a team that's up against it cap wise. Yeah, you must be reading my mind because I'm actually in the middle of writing a story about Anthony Sorelli uh, in the season he's had to date because he did miss the first two months coming off that shoulder surgery, uh, shoulder injury he suffered uh, in the Stanley Cup final that required surgery. So he didn't come back until December, December the 1st. And since he's been back, like his, his offensive numbers are not 
where you would want them to be, uh, not expect them to be for a guy who plays uh, basically second-line minutes. Um, you know, but the team's winning percentage since he's come back, their point percentage is over 700. And uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. Certainly, again, Vasilevsky helps with the, his improved play. But if you look at Sorelli, I think it took a while for him. It, it's so hard to jump in the middle of a season when everybody else has been in, in, in game shape for two months and you're trying to work your way into game shape, it's not an easy thing for injured players to do. But I think we're seeing Anthony Sorelli since the, the bye week have a different level to his game. You know, in the last two games in particular, they faced Colorado on Thursday, they faced Dallas on Saturday. He took on McKinnon's line on Thursday. He took on the Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson line on Saturday and outscored those lines when he's on the ice five to nothing. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's Sorelli finding a level of his game. He knows he has to contribute more offensively, and he's now feeling comfortable and maybe a little more confident in his offensive game. And he'll get that matchup again tonight as much as John Cooper can get Anthony Sorelli out against Nathan McKinnon tonight in Denver. Um, He's just he's such a shutdown guy. He's going to win a Selkie when and if Patrice Bergeron ever retires. His name is going to start to come into that conversation more and more. But you do want more offense out of him. He is a guy who has scored 19 goals uh, previously. He's, he's good for usually 15 to 19 goals per season. The production rate has been off this year, but we've seen it start to pick up. He's got two goals and five points uh, in his last two games. And, and if, that's, if he's going to start scoring consistently, that's going to be you know, something that the Lightning are going to have to lean on because he's their shutdown guy but if he can score as well that's obviously a huge boost to your team yeah real x factor there i got about a minute here uh victor hedman offensive production is down uh any concern there is this just victor hedman's getting older and those numbers are just going to start to tail off i you can't convince me that he's not dealing with something you know he took a hit early in the year in san jose at the towards the end of october uh and he and he missed a couple of games from it and you just you look at him, he's not shooting. His shots per game are down at least a half per game um, You know, this season compared to last year when he had the 20 goals. So I, I have a hard time believing he's not dealing with something. He, he just doesn't seem to have the same zip on his shots. Um, you know, his decision-making has been a little off as well. So I, I, just, I just have to feel that this is going to be something at some point we're going to find out he's dealing with an injury because this is not the same Victor Hedman that we're used to seeing. We see spurts of it here and there, but not on a consistent enough basis for a guy who for, what, five, six years now has been a finalist for the Norris Trophy. He's not even in that conversation this year. Yeah, he's really not. But still a guy that I would love to have on my team. Uh, Eric, thank you so much <laughs> for, for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Matt. Be well. There he goes, Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com. And you can catch that game that he mentioned, the Lightning and the Avalanche, tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Pacific, the Lightning and the Avalanche, that one on Sportsnet. Also on the network tonight, Carolina at Washington, that one on Sportsnet East and Sportsnet Ontario at 7 p.m. Eastern. Thank you to all my guests that joined me on the show today. Elliot Friedman, as he does each and every day, kicking off the show. Derek Wills, Calgary Flames play-by-play voice. Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. And you just heard him, Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com. Our random player of the day was Arturs Urbe. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and thank you to everybody behind the glass. Lance Kennedy, pl- pressing those buttons... He's going to press it to turn me off soon. Jen Rolnick, and he just did there. And Jen Rolnick, who makes me look at least half decent. I know some people will argue that fact. Jeff Merrick Show is back tomorrow. Jeff is back in the host chair. You've been listening to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.